want to kick it off? Sure. Um, listen, for a uh, for a, we'll just uh, for an aperitif, um, we'll. Uh, what are we doing? What, what's honorable what mention? Honorable mention. <laughs> I'd leave it as aperitif. I think that's good. Uh, the aperitif, but isn't an aperitif after an appetizer, an hors d'oeuvre? It's European, so we'll go with hors d'oeuvre. <laughs> This is the Epic New Podcast. Two idiots and a list. Where you're going to get two idiots and a list. And now, coming to you live from Circle Avenue Studios, your hosts, Nick Vasolo and Kirik McMillan. Well, all right, all right, all right. Welcome to another episode of Two Idiots and a List. Coming at you live from the Circle Avenue studios on a beautiful Friday afternoon. I'm here with the man who yells free COVID test every time he breaks wind, <laughs> Mr. Nicholas Vassol. Such a dumb joke. <laughs> such a d- fucking threw me with this stupidest dad joke. I should be used to him by now. All right. Yes, from the modern studios at Circle Avenue, where my mic is currently perched upon catchphrase. Got to elevate those mics, boys. <laughs> That's what we always say. So today's band is going to be. Um, it was. I, I actually liked it. It was. A, it was fun. Walk down memory lane, and um, it, it's. Uh, they're one of these second British invasion bands that came along right along with the MTV. Um, generation uh, right as they started um, and they are Duran Duran Yeah, this uh, request came in from a loyal fan of ours up in the Minneapolis area, uh, and we are more than happy to oblige. So if you've got any further requests for us, please uh, please let us know. All we ask is that you share the episode on whatever social media you belong to. That would be appreciated. Yeah, Duran Duran, not one of the f- primary bands that was on our radar when we started to kind of put a list together of which music we would cover, but it certainly kind of fit, too. They're a seminal band. Big catalog and hugely important for a really big time in music. Like They are one of the definitive bands of the 80s. When, when people look back at the 80s and they look and say, well, it's the big hair, it's the neon colors, it's the, you know, everything's big and loud. And that's kind of like Duran's, Duran's aesthetic. And they came up through the London scene with both The Clash and The Sex Pistols. And you can kind of see... I wouldn't say similarities. Obviously, the Sex Pistols had a very different sound, as did the Clash, but you could kind of collect them in, in a similar parking lot and, and say, yeah, okay, this, you guys clearly had conversations at some point in time about what you're doing and how you're doing it. And uh, I think there are some ties you could make there, dotted lines maybe at best in some cases, but... It certainly is part of that collection of music. Yeah, definitely early on, like, they were post-punk, right? Sex Pistols and The Clash were kind of that that punk era. 
And Duran Duran was post-punk. They were that new wave of modernized music that was coming out of that scene when punk wasn't necessarily dying out. It was just kind of like running its course. And these guys kind of, uh, the, the guys that started the band, Nick Rhodes, like he was 19 when they started the band. Yeah, very young. And, he had, you know, that synthesizer, one of the, I forget what the name of it is, but it's the, one of the brand new synthesizers. You could do all types of funky sounds, and, like, the kid was a genius with it, and he made some really, really awesome music for the first four or five albums, and they just took off. Yeah, and I think when I hear their early stuff between the rhythms, the keyboards, and the vocals, there's something oddly very Devo-esque about what I hear just some of their drops, some of their rhythms. It just reminded me of Devo. Their later stuff sounds hugely Prince-inspired to me. It's funny that you say that because, well, we'll get we'll get into it later, but yeah, we might as well do it now. Prince market corrected these guys. And in 82 and 83, they lived, they, they had all of the ears and all of the, you know, largely female audience in on their music. Right. And you can tell that when they went away after 83 and uh, Seven and the Ragged Tiger ran its course, they didn't put out another album until Notorious in 85. During that time period, 1999, and Prince and the Revolution's um, Purple Rain Purple Rain came up and sucked all the oxygen out of the room. Everything. And it just market corrected these guys. And, it was like, and they're probably sitting around like, shit. Because Notorious, the 1985 band, uh, the 1985 uh, album Notorious sounds like a Prince fucking record. A lot of their rhythms, a lot of their uh, of the the tonality that they use, some of the vocals, some of the way that they, you know, blend their sounds. I just I got a continuous vibe of Prince in that late 80s, early 90s stuff. After Notorious, Duran Duran goes away for a long time. They do. Like, they don't return with any head of steam until like 93. Right, which is an odd time for them to reemerge, given what was going on in 93 with music. Heavy in the R and B, heavy in the R and B. I looked at the charts when Ordinary World. When it charted at number three, it was surrounded by R&B. Whitney Houston and, uh, you know, even PM Dawn, who I love. <laughs> Cannot do a PM Dawn pod, but that is such a great album. Set adrift on Memory <laughs> Bliss, baby. Spandu Ballet. Great. <laughs> oh, it's a great drop. Yeah, it's great. Uh, but these guys, so like Prince strangled the life out of Duran Duran. And he sucked all the oxygen out of the room for them because they were kind of competing for the same audience. Like right. it was heavily female audience, you know. Sure, danceable beats. Exactly. Sing along kind of stuff. So are you strapped in over there? I am ready to go. Okay, because I'm going to knock you off your chair with this. Duran Duran is awesome band. Because what did you always say about the bass guitar? I always give you shit about playing the bass. What did you say about the bass guitar? <laughs> it's the backbone of the band. Besides that. <laughs> What does the bass guitar do? Keeps the rhythm. It makes you move. Yep. When you listen to Duran Duran, I dare you to find me a fucking guitar tune that you can pull out of that, like a guitar riff. Uh, the, the bass lines in these songs are really good. It might be the best rhythm section that I've heard so far. Okay. Rush is not danceable walk me, music. Walk me down that path. Okay, so Rush is not danceable music. Getty Lee is a fine bassist, and Neil Peart, obviously, a fine drummer. But they were a prog band. They weren't. In, they weren't invested in doing. You know, they weren't. They weren't the club band for the Rum Runners, no. right? Which was the, <laughs> the the UK equivalent to Studio Fifty Four, right? So they they weren't that. So we'll set those guys aside. Um, but these guys, this J- John Taylor, the bassist, and uh, the Roger Taylor. All, three Taylors in the band. Not one of them is related. Fucking, Which is odd. Fucking Brits, right? <laughs> 
But John Taylor and Roger Taylor, that that rhythm second, that I'm telling you, that John Taylor, he's the first bassist I've ever listened to, and I'm like, oh shit, the, oh, that's pretty goddamn good. That's that's funky what he's doing with his mm-hmm. bass. Yeah. I thought it odd that they named the band after a character in the movie Barbarella, which really has nothing to do with bass lines or anything else, but I thought I would share that for anybody else because I wondered, you know, is there a guy named Duran in this or Brothers? No, it's just a, <laughs> just a character they pulled from a movie. Roberto Duran. <laughs> Princess Diana declared them her favorite band. Well, listen, they checked all the boxes for, for what was necessary to make it in the 80s. They looked really good. And not just rock star good. These guys were high fashion models. They brought style into their look from the get-go. They associated with high fashion designers. And from the start, they said, we are going to have a look, a a swagger, and an appearance. And it's everyone's going to have it. And everyone, for the most part, did. 100% because they sold it and they knew what they were doing. They were in with the right people brand managers and people knew how to, to take an image and make it work yeah. where this is where Hall and Oates got fucked, right? This is where <laughs> Daryl Hall really got fucked by yeah. this. Cause he listened to the same people, but I don't think he just carried the swagger that these these guys were runway model. Good looking. They had the style to go with it. They were dynamic on stage. If you've ever seen their live performances, I did a couple of YouTube dives on them, and they're they're still to this day when they play their old, you know, they're they're a bit older now, but they're still dynamic on stage. They right. look great. And you could give Daryl Hall and John Oates the same hairstylists and the same not fashion cool. designers, and you are still not going to get them to look like Duran Duran. <laughs> no, it's not just not cool. going to happen. Right. It, but and the, the third box that they checked was that they wrote their own music. Yes. Simon Laban was a was a true lyricist. Good singer. Great mm-hmm. singer. I love his voice. It's really, really like unique and identifiable right off the bat. Yeah. This Nick Rhodes kid who I mean he's that that's nineteen years old writing girls on film and then rolling right into the Rio album and uh Seven and the Ragged Tiger. He's less than twenty four years old when all this shit's going down around it, him. They produced a lot in that period of time mm-hmm. with young guys. I agree. Yeah. They they added a lot of uh, wind instruments. I, I, it's not just sax. It's not just horns. It's a mix of both. And you can easily, as we've discussed in the past, overdo that kind of a sound. And I think they did, for the most part, a pretty good job of incorporating those into into their music. Yeah. The sax solo in Rio is a good example of that because it is a long-winded sax solo. However, you find yourself listening to Taylor's bass line mm-hmm. of, under the whole thing because right. it's really it's poppy, it's bouncy. It's you don't it's not a normal bass line where it's just boom boom it's just going with the chord changes. Yeah. Like it's it's his the song is the bass line. Oh, as you said, the bass does get people moving and I've seen that performing live. People even move to my bass lines, which is odd, but I move to your bass lines. <laughs> yes, you do. All the time. <laughs> well, let's uh, let's dip our toe into this uh, into this tepid water. Let's get it and, going and see what we have. You want to kick it off? Sure. My honorable mention is "Come Undone" from the uh, Duran Duran album. What do they call it? The Wedding Album in 1993. And you have sniped me again. Get out of here! All the way to the top. Oh, all the way to the top. You just plucked my number one. I win. <laughs> Podcast over. Everybody go home. All right, since that's your number one, we'll just we'll save it to the end because right. it's just my honorable mention, so we'll let you get your whole run in for your number one. Fair enough. All right, sounds good. What's your honorable mention? <laughs> Better not be number one or this, the, the world, the universe short... will collapse. <laughs> that's right. Uh, okay, my honorable mention is Skin Trade. Would someone please explain 
There's something kind of hypnotic about this song. So this is a Nile Rodgers produced song. Laban said, and every time I see or say the name Laban, the French student in me wants to say Laban. Laban. Laban said the lyrics uh, lyrics reflect on how everyone is selling themselves, and there's a little hooker in each of us. Have you found your little hooker yet, Nick? Oh God, yes! I've hooked myself <laughs> out many times. There's a, a lot of brass in this song. And the guys that played on this were called the Borneo Horns. Uh, and I like it. I like the way that they mix, uh, the, mix the sound of the music, the rhythm, the lyrics, everything. It just it works for me. Instead of a guitar solo, they actually have a trumpet solo, which is different and would normally sound kind of dumb. But for here, I think it kind of works. Well, Nile Rodgers is just a super man with super ears. So he produced that song, and I do remember that song because probably it's Nile Rodgers produced. You know, he produced a number of other Duran Duran uh, songs, but you know, in, in the earlier in their career, and then in 2015, he joined back with them to join to produce and perform on their 2015 song "Pressure Off." With, uh, with uh, Janelle Monet, I think she's on. It. Okay, and it's actually a very good song, and it's like it shows the transformation of Duran Duran. It's like they're not a boy band anymore, but they're still like they made dance music, and he made a dance song. With, and like now, Rogers has to be, you know, they're both. All of them are probably approaching their sixties now. The guys, are just he's just magic. God yeah, damn, he's, he's so just good. He has a touch, absolutely. All right, then that brings us to your number five. So my number five is Save a Prayer. like how this this uh, song started off um again nick rhodes doing things with the synthesizer that hadn't heard before or hadn't really made the mainstream as much and um you know laban's lyrics are really good sometimes they're a little they get a, they, they get a little out there they get a little like he, he had to jam a couple phrases in there to make the sound to make it sound right but uh you know you, you kind of you know you give that to your pop stars you're not looking for shakespeare you you know but I, I always like this song. This is my number three. Okay. You're, <laughs> you're picking me off one by one here. I, I think this song is a great example of an exceptional bass line for, uh, for this band. Great bass line. Yeah. The, there's keys running kind of in the background throughout this song that are cool, and they have this sort of tubular sound effect. Mm-hmm. The overall keys in this, because there's multiple layers of them, are, are really good. It's a song about a chance meeting between two people that turns into a one-night stand. 
And Laban is always good for like having those sing-along lyrics. Do 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 do. He's got them in, in nearly every one of his Poppy's songs, and like you know, I like that. It's the only thing I can sing. Yeah, the, my complaint about this song is the end gets a little goofy. I think they could have ended this song about a minute earlier. Like like the keys get kind of drunken. Mm-hmm. But uh, otherwise, yeah, I'd, same critique. I don't like it when songs go on too long. Yeah, the sign is like we just don't know how to end this thing, so we're just going to fade out. All right, what's your number number five? My number five is The Reflex. I think we're, we're seeing a pattern here. That was my number three. Go for it. <laughs> Great rhythm. It, it's a cornball song. Why don't you use it? Try not to bruise it. Buy time, don't lose it. it it's a cornball song, but it works. I couldn't help but sing along to this when I listened to it. I like the woman doing the backing vocals That's during the, the chorus. The awesome. Awesome lyrics. Awesome backup singing on that song. And it kind of runs through the whole song. And, you know, it's just that ta na na I love that. Yeah. It's such, such a great... And they doubled it, and then it's something tripled it. And again, this is now Rogers. Yes. This is him. Yeah. And, and and this song was written and ready to go on their first album, but not in this form. Okay. And they happened to run into Nile Rogers because I think they just flew in the same circles, being in high fashion. I think that Nile Rogers was a, you know, a frequent of, you know, all the places and the clubs that they were at. Sure. And uh, they finally, you know, struck up this conversation and they handed the song over to him and he's like, this is a hit. Yeah. Of course, because, you know, he's now Rogers and he's like, yeah, we just need to do a couple of things and he funked it up and it's fucking awesome. It's a great song. Yeah. And yeah. it's a fucking great video. <laughs> I love the video. <laughs> it looks so good. And, and it was shot in Toronto during a live set of theirs. And then, of course, the, the digital waterfall that goes over the crowd is a little corny, but uh, my they, wife happens to love that part of it. They were known for the amount of effort and expense they put into their videos before most other bands were doing this. They were shooting it on, I believe, 35-millimeter film. Yeah, with bona fide directors. With real directors. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if you look at it now, it's a little dated. I did, I did look at some of the other videos because we have discovered throughout the course of oh, eight or nine podcasts by this point that my knowledge of videos doesn't come quite close to Nick's, so I thought I'd try to at least dip my toe into a little bit of that. And I did watch one or two, one of which I'll maybe talk about in a bit. They are dated, but they are also not comparable to some of the other stuff, some of the other things that were out at that time, given the, the super corny videos that you were seeing from other bands. All right, what do you have for number four? Uh, the, my number four is New Moon on Monday.
And I can't really say why I like, I think I like, I like the chorus. And again, I go back to the video and I'm seeing the video is like, you know, Duran Duran in the streets with this, this charging riot behind them and like all these torches in the air. And I'm, I think that appealed to me as a young kid. The, the thing about Duran Duran is like, it's not, it, we talked about this in the doors. Rock and roll is supposed to be dangerous. And that's the attraction for a lot of like, especially young males, I would think. The sure. danger of rock and roll. Duran Duran was not dangerous. So probably that was why it didn't attract so many outwardly male fans. But I definitely remember having Rio as an album and definitely listening to it for sure. There were a lot of songs on that album that made yes. it to the to the pop culture and sort of the common, you know, the common listener. Right. You when I listened this week, I went, Wow, I, there's a lot on here. A lot that was familiar, some that sort of, you know, tickled a memory, but I, I was sure I had heard it before. And I don't think I had that album. I think I had one or two of their other ones. I don't recall. I, that that collection's gotten misplaced over the years, so <laughs> some of that stuff is... tape collection? What, what I have today is not indicative of what I've had all the time, so... All right, that brings us to uh, our number threes, which we both pinched. Yeah. I had Save a Prayer, and you had Reflex. Mm-hmm. So that brings us to our fantasy concert lineup. Who are you going to see Duran Duran with? You want me to go first? Sure. Okay. I think I'm going to start with Duran Duran. Well, uh, yeah, no, uh, no, I'm not going to start with Duran Duran. They're the dance band. They're really good. They're, they, they're, I need something that will pep me up. Uh, so I'm going to start out with uh, just, I think, just a two-song set from Fee Waybill's band, uh, The Tubes. Ooh. I like uh, the two. I like talk to you later. Yeah. Maybe she's a beauty, depending on how. I don't, don't fall in love. Yeah, I don't know. I, 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 that's not really the tubes. Um, I, th- I think he got swindled into making that album uh, or that, that that record. That was their biggest uh, hit, I think. Oh, by far. Yeah, yeah. I want to say that it was some sort of record deal. Like, hey, you need to you need to record this for us. <laughs> and they're like, fuck. Do we have to? <laughs> right. Goddamn contract. Damn it. But to talk to you later. That's a great tune. And then uh, bring on Huey Lewis. Because I need to stay in that that '80s you know mindset. Sure. Huey Lewis really fucking dug a deep rut in early in the (laughs) mid '80s, like right there. Um, And and I think just the songs off of Back to the Future. (laughs) Those are the only ones. Um, And then bring on bring on the uh, bring on Duran Duran. The double D's. Yeah. All right, I've got. I've got Kajagoogoo, but they're only doing one song. Right. To shine, shine. Hey, girl. Move a little closer. You're to shine, shine. Hush, hush. I do I. To shine, shine. Hush, hush. I do I. To shine. And that's only because the song was produced by Nick Rhodes from Duran Duran. Right. So they get one song and then they're booted off the stage. Out. Yep. Get out. And then we're going with a little Pet Shop Boys. Oh, okay. If, when, why, what, <laughs> how much have you got? I love the Pet Shop Boys. If, when, why, what, how much have you got? Have you got it? Do you get it? If so, how often would you choose a hard or soft option? A 
and then Duran, Duran, you know, doing their thing. All of this, this entire concert, is performed in the middle of an Andy Warhol art exhibition, with Andy himself showing off his artwork. He's a big fan of theirs, wasn't he? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I, I'm surprised you don't have the power station in there. <laughs> Too heavy. Too heavy. Robert Palmer? I, I would rather see him with, like... Because um, that oh. was John Taylor's side band. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that style of music fits better with, uh, who, who sang the stroke? I'm blanking on his name. Billy Squire? Billy Squire. Oof. Right? That same sort of like <laughs> slightly edgier, heavier sound. Edgy. Now that's the first time <laughs> Billy Squire has ever been mentioned as edgy. <laughs> but the power station like haunts me. Um, and that because I don't mind those two songs or whatever songs that they had written. I think you guys there was really only Bang two. Gong. Yeah, it wasn't Bang a Gong. Yeah, Bang a Gong and, then, and uh, the one with the chicks in uh, business suits. No, that was his. That was his. Oh, solo. that was Robert Palmer's that's, solo. That's what, right. Robert Palmer haunts me. I can't. I couldn't. You couldn't get away from those fucking videos. Like in '88, '89, like you could not get away from it. And they're such awful songs. So I did a little palate cleansing with Robert Palmer because I do remember one song early. We're talking about early videos. Early, early, early MTV. Um, the song, if you ever heard it, look up on YouTube Robert Palmer's Clues. You want to get a, a taste of what early MTV videos look like? That's what we're talking about. And put that right up against uh, Hungry Like the Wolf. Um, and you will see like, oh, oh, I guess this is why they stood out so much because it is a fucking <laughs> joke. Garbage. <laughs> All right. That brings us to our number twos. Who do you have for number two? Well, speaking of Hungry Like the Wolf, I've always liked this song. <laughs> And, and and what really the what hooks me into this song immediately is that that that, that woman's laugh at the very beginning. <laughs> oh my god! Yep. And, and it, they don't even waste any time with it. They come right in with that guitar hook, and it's really the only guitar lick that I can identify from Duran Duran. And it's a good guitar lick, but the rest of the song is you know again the lyrics are you know make of what you will. But the video again like so we were talking about this off off mic here and I, it's like he mentioned like he never grew up with really MTV and not until much later in the 80s so his connection to these songs is purely the music side right where I cannot separate the music and the video for anything I was surprised to show, find out that you didn't even fucking see a journey video never seen How a journey possibly video possibly have gone through your life and not seen a fucking journey video <laughs> and now I don't want to that's why yeah that's why you sleep well at night <laughs> But this song, it was the, the video was one of those highly produced videos shot on 35mm in Sri Lanka on location. Who the fuck was doing that? And, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't groundbreaking by any means, like, as far as the content of it, but it, it just looked cool. <laughs> Especially when Simon flows over the table in disgust. <laughs> this, this song made my list, too, but unfortunately not, oh, not on the high end. But okay. We, we, we can tickle that later. <laughs> All right, my number two is Ordinary World. What has happened to it all? Crazy summer say. Where is the life that I recognize? But I won't cry for yes, 
fantastic. This is my number one. Your number one. So uh, close enough. Then I'll, I'll let you take it. Probably for the same reason that your number one is what it is. Because in 1993, it was... Their sound evolved. Uh, yeah, totally different. Their sound evolved. They it, just sounded like adults. They The, the bubblegum was chewed out, and now it was, okay, let's, let's put a little more silk into this. Let's put a little more... Something that kind of makes you want to move your hips a little bit. Well, they and, just... They grew up. Yeah, they sound more adult. And I think this is where you hear... So as, as we had said earlier, and, and we can get to the details on it in a second, but Come Undone is also, that's my number one. Ordinary World is Nick's number one. Uh, so, you know, these songs, they both have that Prince influence. They both came off that same album. You know, Ordinary World, the vocals are really silky. Mm-hmm. And the, the backing vocals are run through this effect that... I think just add uh, add a, a layer of texture to this. And, and also, when we're... This is 1993. It was middle of our college years. We just turned 21. We're, we're getting a little long in the tooth as well. <laughs> um, when Duran Duran... This is their first album since that I can... Uh, it's like 85. So Notorious was 85. And back then, when we were you know in high school and junior high, it wasn't like, you know... As, as a dude, you weren't running around saying, like, Duran Duran is my band, right? Um, but later on, as you matured and got Clos- out of all that... Closeted fans. Yeah, well, I mean, when you get out of all that fake machismo bullshit of high school and junior high, and you're like, you start to appreciate the different things in life, like, this album matured along, right along with us. Yep. And, and uh, yeah, we were listening to other things, and that's why I think that this, this kind of popped up out of nowhere. And you're like, holy shit, Duran Duran is back? And, man, those are fucking good songs. Yeah, yeah. I like the guitar solos in this. Uh, for Ordinary World, they, they repeat the solo. So it starts with a uh, an acoustic guitar doing the solo that almost has sort of a Spanish mm-hmm. sound to it. And Mabon adds vocals over the top of it. then they repeat it later in the song in an almost identical solo but it's with electric guitar It's a really like that solo is on one string of the guitar, and that's it. And it spans about maybe 16 frets. But it's a, it, you know, just because it showed like simplicity sometimes is the friend of you yep. know greatness. Sure. Like, it really, it was a, it's a great solo. Um, and that last, the, the last bit when they do it with the electric guitar, they have this really awesome like pinched harmonic dive at the end, which is just so like to me that like that was like man that is a really fucking cool ass way to end a solo. He yeah. just dives the, the, the note down on a pinch harmonic. It was great. Yeah. Great. Well, then let's talk about number one, which was Come Undone. Might take a little cry to come undone. Now we'll try to stay blind. 
chance to, to give your input either, so feel free to jump in. Sure, go ahead. Uh, I think the woman that sings with him in this song adds a lot. Uh, the, the, the beats and electronic drums also add to this overall sound, and I think that's one of the things that really made me think that it gives it a more adult feel. Uh, it just has more complexity across all of the components than much of their older stuff, their mm -hmm. older catalog. Um, it's not a dance tune. Neither of those songs are dance tunes, right? And right. so Duran Duran trafficked in dance music because that's where they came from. They came and they, they they did it very well, and they paired themselves with the right producers to, to get the right sound. And man, they they nailed it until Prince came along and ruined it for them. <laughs> we'll take Michael Jackson out of the conversation because he's in a different universe. Um, but in the '90s, off of this album, they're just different. They're, they're not a dance music band anymore. They're you know these are two ballads. Yeah. Yeah, the, uh, the guitarist and the keyboardist were going to use this song for a project they had with Gavin Rossdale of uh, Bush fame. Uh, but Simon LeBon heard it uh, in the instrumental sort of writing aspect of it. He hadn't written the lyrics yet and immediately liked it and then apparently immediately started writing lyrics for it. So it really took him uh, quickly and they, they kept it for the, for the band and, and turned it into a great song. The rhythm on this song immediately, and you had mentioned this band earlier, the rhythm on this song immediately reminded me of Set Adrift on Memory <laughs> List. <laughs> absolutely caught me when when i heard it so uh good song yeah the backing vocals uh, um I, I didn't do enough research on, on who that woman is she had some she had a huge huge catalog of, i bet with a voice artists. like that I huge catalog and and enough so that it didn't make sense for me to kind of notate who she had worked with but I, they cited something like 30 or 40 major major artists yeah. and it was everything from Bowie to uh, the Stones to you know other modern more pop bands, um, but yeah, yeah, talented, talented woman. Whoever, whatever her name is, I, I don't have it in front of me. All right, so that brings us to the most hated. Now I've already tipped my hand here. Really? All right. Um, <laughs> I've already tipped my hand here, so I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. say, uh, "Hungry Like the Wolf" did make it, really? uh, and I have corny, corny corny written next to it three times <laughs> mouth is alive well, yeah, yeah. with juices like wine <laughs> you have to get past all of that i'm afraid you have to do that you know with this song it didn't work for me that you know the girl crying out towards the end i wasn't <laughs> sure what's happening to her That was that was my most hated. I also I also have in here as a subnote all she wants is as as another another candidate for my most hated. I don't think I know that one. You're, you're not gonna like it. The uh, I'm sure 
Uh, the hungry life, the the uh, the woman's uh, crying at the end or, or screaming out at the end. It's funny because it's kind of like it's like folded into the music, and it's it's hard to hear it as 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 it's happening. And then like the next time, it, it's a little louder and a little louder. I remember one day uh, I was in uh, listening. I was listening to it on my you know my, you know everybody had one of those boom boxes, so I had the tape and I was listening to Hungry Like the Wolf and playing in television or whatever shit I was doing that, that day. And and so the, the the screaming comes on. And I hear my dad like, like yell from the other room, like what? And then another scream is what? <laughs> and then the, the next scream is, it comes up, and he like races through the room. And he kicks open the door. He's like, "What the fuck is going on in here?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" And he's like, "What are you yelling at me for?" I'm like, "I think it's the song." And then it went off again. And he's like, "Turn that shit off." <laughs> You just imagine the measured response from Pops. Oh, I can see it today. I can see it today. <laughs> right, what's your most hated? All right, my most hated is I don't. I don't give a shit. I'm gonna go out and say it. A view to a kill. Fucking awful. And it was the highest charted Bond song ever? Get the fuck out of here. So I realized as we were doing this that we missed my number four. Oh. And you just called my number four. <laughs> of course I did. This is on my list in no small part because it's the theme song yes. to what is both the stupidest and most awesome James Bond movie out there. Hold on a second. Come on. Just, Christopher Walken. Just Jones. Just <laughs> Hold on. Roger Moore is like 90 years old hanging out with a 30-something Grace Jones. Come on, this is a great, it's a great, great song and a great and <laughs> awesomely stupid movie. You don't get why Grace Jones was flying like fake butterflies off the Eiffel Tower. <laughs> I didn't say it was smart. Using it as a, you know, a, a, fly skilled, fishing rod. a skilled assassin would. <laughs> Two words, Christopher Walken. Yeah, that's what makes it fucking great. Yeah. Listen, all James Bond movies are terrible. Yeah. Period. Laughing Full maniacally stop. while he machine guns everybody down yeah. in the middle of <laughs> mountains of explosives. It's great. I loved it. I love the orchestral so hits bad. in this. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> they uh, they recorded that song with a 60-piece orchestra in London. Of course they did. And I guess the, the reason that they did it for this Bond film, the bass player got drunk at some socialite party and ran into Cubby Broccoli. And, and he asked Cubby, Cubby Broccoli, who's the producer for the Bond series, when he was going to get somebody decent to play the theme song to a Bond film. Balls. <laughs> I like it. And uh, it was the last song that the original five members of that band would record for 20 years. And you're right. It, yep. it made it huge. Uh, they played the song at Live Aid in Philly. And uh, we've talked about Live Aid in Philly. <laughs> relative to Hall and Oates. The, the one that's headlined by Hall and fucking Oates. <laughs> so they played the song at Live Aid in Philly. And Simon LeBon hit a funky note, which the press subsequently labeled the bum note heard around the world. Yeah. And I, I like it because, you know what? 
they're fucking human performers. Shit like that happens. Yeah, He's got a great voice. He does. And LeBon later said it was the most embarrassing moment of his career because there was a billion and a half people watching the concert on TV. Oh, fuck, yeah. And it really wasn't that bad of, I mean, it's, it's, oh, it was. it's, it's funny when you hear it, but it's, you know, it wasn't like he was off key the entire song. It was, he just squeaked a note. Yeah. So. Yeah. No, 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 no. It, it is funny, but you know, you would never hear that these days because everybody, you know, runs with a backing track of their vocals. So right. you would never right. hear that shit. Right. So I like, I like the fact that that happened. I watched it with a smile on my face, not because it was like, oh, Simon got, you know, served up. I was like, it just, that happens. Like well, there's a live performance. Like, Fuck. Yeah. These guys seem like good guys. I didn't. I couldn't find anything that really felt like dirt on them. It sounded like there might have been some, you know, substance issues along the way here and there. But it was the 80s. You know, for crying out loud, they were huge. Yeah. They were huge. And, and yeah, it was the 80s. It wasn't uh, like they were dicks to one another. Like Van Halen was just total asshole snipers to each other. They were, you know, the, the Roger and, uh, or John Taylor, and I think Roger Taylor also wanted to have a side project and did the power station. Yeah. All right, no yeah. problems. Just, you know, whenever you get back, we'll just record another, you know, notorious album and go multi-platinum again. Yeah. No problem. I think the, <laughs> yeah. I think the drummer bailed on them at one point because he was tired. Yeah. Like he was just tired. Tired yeah. of touring, tired of recording. I, I, I would imagine when you get to these levels of success, the pressures put on you by the album companies can be pretty intense. Oh, God, and, yeah. you know, I've been on week-long business trips. And when you spend four nights in a different hotel and you drive, you know, 1,500 miles, that can that can really grate on you. You spend an entire summer on the road bouncing from hotel to hotel to hotel. I think it would just get old. To be fair, though, when they get to their job, they have thousands of screaming fans for them, right. and you have frozen chickens and pizza ovens. <laughs> <laughs> so The cryogenic industry is a sexy, sexy realm, let me tell you. All right, what's your uh, best four seconds? I like the bridge in the reflex. When they break it down, I don't like the YII. I can I can do without that. Yes, that was, that was annoying. That was a miss by Nile Rodgers. I agree. <laughs> that was a I miss. Agree. But the, then the breakdown of the drums and then the and that backing track of that the, those uh, that woman singing is it's fantastic. I love that. I had that as one of my best four seconds as well. Yeah. Exactly. I also had the chorus from Notorious. like the way that those vocals come together in the chorus chorus or <laughs> <The> chorus <laughs> no chorus i like it and of course some of those key hits from view to a kill
so awful. It's not even a good. I mean, it's, the song is not good. Like, and I can't believe that's the best one. I mean, you talking about McCartney? It's the only Bond song that hit number one. I know, and that includes Adele, McCartney, um, and quite it's, a few other big names. Well, it's such an. I, you know, I, I, I gathered that it's, it's it's an honor for especially a British band to be asked to write the Bond theme. Well, especially when your bass player got hammered and asked the, the producer well, I, whether I they could play. I think that's awesome. That's awesome. Especially if the bass player just swings up there with his big balls and like, hey, <laughs> what are you going to That McCartney guy fucking that's sucks. Right, that's right. What about Duran Duran? I'll think about my it. man. With, it's a perfect theme song for a Bond film because you can picture the silhouettes of nude women floating around discharging firearms in a flirtatious <laughs> manner. I mean, it, it fits. What was that, 85? Uh, 85 or 86, Smack something like that. Smack dab in the middle of the 80s, and you get Roger Moore as your Bond. Good luck. <laughs> Lee looked like he was 90. <laughs> All right, who's the MVP? I like Simon LeBond as the MVP. I mean, normally I'd do something like a little offbeat, but like he was, yeah, Simon, he, he carried the day for those guys. They all looked fucking great, but he is a, a dynamic performer on stage. Yeah, I had I had them all getting it, actually. I think they all had the swagger. Yeah. They all contributed to the songwriting. Uh, this felt like a pretty equal distribution of talent and image. And I agree that, that LeBon was the face of this, but one of their albums, and I don't recall which one it was, there, three of them are on the cover. LeBon's in the background. The guy that's in the foreground has even better hair. Yeah, um, you know these guys I mean, all had the image. This wasn't in excess where you had uh, an Adonis guy. and and you know, <laughs> right. four doofuses no, standing that's behind true. him. As a, as a matter of fact, like I think now now thinking about the way you're framing it, is the MVP is 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 the talent manager. Whoever their manager was was making those decisions. Like here, wear this. This is the way you want to look. We're going to do like total androgyny on your your second cover album. Right, and like they went with it because they trusted it and they were right. I right. mean, they were that like so that whoever managed the talent and managed like the image, like they get a lot of the credit. But these guys are very talented musicians on their own right too. All right, the Steve Perry question, please. Who's Dude, better every or worse? Fucking time, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Steve Perry. Yeah, no. Better or worse <laughs> no, than no. Simon Lebon? He's worse. He's worse not because he's a worse. Like, listen, they're even vocals. Like they're. they're Take the image out of it. Take no, just the vocals. No, you cannot. What are you going to separate? Get well, the all right. Fuck so, out of here. so like, like in a dark room, Steve Perry is still four feet tall. Okay, Steve Perry is going to lose on image to everybody except Getty Lee and Rick Ocasek. I, I'm, I'm happy. Not Rick Ocasek. He's a beautiful man, and he's got the beautiful wife to prove one well, not anymore. I'm right? happy. Rick, Rick Ocasek dead. Yes, Rick Ocasek oh, has passed oh, on. Pour one out for Rick. Uh, but I think if you look at Simon LeBond's range, he doesn't have nearly the range. That Steve Perry has. I'm gonna I'm gonna throw this one at Steve. Steve's getting. You it. didn't ask you. Uh, you asked me the question. I did. You don't get the answer. Oh, you're getting my answer. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> no. Have no choice. N O. <laughs> uh, Sisters of Mercy. Do you want more? Yeah, yeah, I do. I like. I put probably five songs in my playlist um, based on what we did in the last week. Okay. I did. I, I was good. I think uh, it was a fun trip for memory lane for me. Uh, I don't know that I need any more of it. I, I had new respect for some of the songs that, I, that I'd listened to in the past. but it's... I, Yeah, I think that's what it was. It was more of like you, you, look, you listen to it with a little different kind of like respect factor put on Duran Duran. Because, you know, in, I, I know for a fact, like I shit on Duran Duran, I'm sure, in my, my more formative years. Because that was just the, the you know the the ego thing to do, 
But I know for a fact also that I own some of these albums sure. growing up during that time period. And I listened to them, you know, when nobody else was around because, <laughs> you know, God forbid I had an image to fucking protect. <laughs> so we saw announced, I think it was this week, that Genesis is coming back in a concert. And, and you and I haven't discussed whether or not that would be a concert worth seeing. But it does bring I an mean... interesting question. <laughs> it does bring an interesting question about Duran Duran. Let's say Duran Duran rolled back through on uh, a tour this year, next year, whatever. Would you be interested in seeing them? Is that something that you would consider? 100%. As a matter of fact, they were just, we go to Vegas every year and they were playing in Vegas like the month or four after we were going to be there. And I was like, God damn, that would be a good show to see. Yeah, I, I, think I'd, see I think it'd be fun. They'd be fun to see them. They're not that much older than us. I mean, they're approaching their 60s, but you know, here we are approaching our 50s. Yes. Yikes. <sighs> okay, that brings us to our rankings. Well, listen, their catalog is. Oh, I'll give them like a three on their catalog. That may be a little high, but I'll give them a three on their catalog because I, it spanned a long time. I I tagged them with a 2.1 here. And one of the reasons was this week I was listening to one of their middle, middle albums and I switched to the next song and I thought I had hit the same song because it sounded so, so similar. Yeah. And I, and I that kind of caused me to skip through the rest of the songs on the album and at least two-thirds of that album ran at nearly identical beats per minute with similar chord structures and keys Mm -hmm. and when you go from one song to the next and you go did i just repeat the song i was just listening to and it wasn't intentional it clearly wasn't intentional yeah uh that tells me like woo, you know maybe they had some like I got the same like one trick pony kind of yeah thing coming out of them too right because I noticed the same thing I'm like mm, different yeah. different words but right right and you get into that you know the the ones that we kind of talked about towards the end there relative to those that later album okay I'll give you I'll give mm-hmm. you credit for maybe shifting some gears here and and finding something else but I had to I had to stick with a two one on these guys for for their catalog yeah what do you have for skill. Um, I, I, I would say they're a little bit better than average. Again, there's no, like the guitarist didn't really do it for me. Laban is a great singer. That bassist, uh, John is, is John Taylor is really fantastic. I mean, like he got me who I normally like, don't ever keep an ear out for the bass line. Um, he got me like interested in that bass line. So I'll give him like 3.2 for that. I had them two and a half. Yeah, I thought they were a pretty standard Harsh pop sound. I am. I am. I've. Well, I look back at some of my earlier rankings with some of these other <laughs> bands. Wide berth there. Ooh, wow, I really rank some of those guys higher than I should. So Maybe we should these guys back. could be paying the price for uh, for for some of those earlier <laughs> rankings that were overblown. Uh, but I had them at two and a half. I thought they were a fairly standard uh, skill set. Uh, you know, I didn't. Laban, while he had great tone, didn't have terrific range. He sticks within about a octave and a half mm-hmm. uh, in terms of, of everything that he does. Uh, the keys were, were decent. Uh, the writing is decent. So I, I put him right down the middle of the road at two and a half. All right. Fair enough. Cool factor is where I gave them um, a, a bit more credit. You know, this was this was a handsome band. Yeah. They, they, this was a handful of, of really good-looking guys. And as we said, they worked with fashion designers, and, right. and image was an important facet of who they were from the get-go, and it showed. So I, I bounced them up to a 3.9. Yeah, it's funny. Um, my wife is the same 
she's younger than me by 10 days, but she's, you know, of the same age. And she told me while I told her we were doing Duran Duran. She's like, Oh, my group of friends, you know, there was the, the, these girls, they all had their own individual, you know, <laughs> band member, member that they right? wanted. And she was left with Nick. And, and I said, well, did, cause she didn't know what they really looked like unless like she would be in their room and saw all the pictures all over the fucking wall. And I'm like, well, who had MTV in your group? And I said, the girls that picked, you know, the first, they, they were the ones that were aware of, you know, how, you know, gorgeous these young men were. Um, and she didn't have, you know, MTV until well into the mid eighties. So like she was late at the, late to that party. And it was just funny how like they set the aesthetic for the new wave of, you know, that generation. Again, I go back to my previous comments. When when the, when you think of the 80s, Duran Duran is one of the bands or people, like I would also put, throw in Boy George there, uh, and even sure. Annie Lennox and the Eurythmics. They, they, set, they defined a culture. They set an aesthetic for the rest. Of, and, and especially Annie Lennox was like, we're going to do whatever the fuck we want. Right. How do you like that? Yeah. And, and she did. And yeah. she did it really well. Yeah, she did. She uh, did Boy it really George well. did as well. And yes. so did Cindy Lauper. And yep. so those those early um, you know, bands or personalities were were larger than life and, and they they set a, a look for the for the age that we all look back to. And it's like, oh, that was kind of fun. You know, what the fuck was going on in the eighties? A lot of cocaine. But Duran Duran is part of that. Like yeah. they're part of that aesthetic. And so, so for that I'll give them like a four point two. Okay. Before we wrap. Uh, I did notice that they did a cover album in 1995. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it included Crystal Ship yeah. by The Doors, uh, Watching the Detectives by Elvis Costello. Mm-hmm. They did a version of Thank You uh, originally by Zeppelin, right. which is actually pretty good. They also do a cover of 911 is a yeah, Joke by did. Public Enemy. <laughs> This is a song about how emergency responders aren't responding to calls for help in poor black neighborhoods. And it seemed just incredibly tasteless for for a handful of extremely affluent Caucasians to cover a song highlighting the plight of underclass black Americans literally dying in the streets. So I don't re- I don't know why they did that. Like it just doesn't make say sense. Tone deaf, um, certainly. Can't really explain it. No, I, I'm sure I'm, their hearts were in the right place. It I, just, I'm sure that they're like really influenced by Public Enemy, um, as many um, you know folks were. Um, talk about a sore thumb in <laughs> in a music <laughs> collection. I just it just really struck me as weird. Yeah, that Anyhow. stuck out. They also <laughs> did White Lines too. So, <laughs> so I mean, I guess there's a hip hop straight that, that runs through them. But, could be. You know, could be. I mean. All right, well, that just about wraps it for this version of Two Idiots in a List. I had fun with this one. These guys are a fun walk down memory lane. Yeah, yeah, good times. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter and whatnot, Instagram. Please do. Thanks for listening to us. You guys have really boosted us well. Uh, We'll post something on Facebook, which you'll see a lot sooner before you see this or hear this episode. But we just clipped 1,000 listens today. So thank you very much. Thank you very much. We'll come back at you here with another one very soon. Take care.